Shalom people, this is the uh, Know Thyself and Know Thy Relationship series and uh, we run a lunch and learn on the third Thursday of every single month and this is the January um, lunch and learn class. The title is Mend Enhance Your Relationship. Mend slash enhance your relationship and I'm going to read you the questions of the subtitle. How does one mend or enhance a relationship? How does one know when to try and mend, enhance, or to end? Where within ourselves does one find the answer? Where within ourselves does one find the strength? Those were the subtitle questions, and uh, onto the title. Okay, people, some introductions. Introduction number one, I want to share with you the source of this lecture. The source of this lecture is a Hasidic discourse given by the Rebbe of Blessed Memory in 1958. In it, the Rebbe discusses Teshuva, four stages of doing Teshuva, repentance, returning to God. And when I studied this mimer, I began to process this discourse as a process for mending a relationship between two human beings, rather than just seeing it as mending our relationship with God. What is Teshuva? Teshuva is mending our relationship with God. If we can learn from that process, then we can apply it to all our other relationships that need mending or enhancing. That was introduction number one. Introduction number two. I want to share with you what I am not going to answer today. In the subtitle, the question I asked was, how does one know when to try and mend or to end a relationship? The answer to this question on face value, I will not be answering today. Why? Because the scope of that question is not within the scope of our lunch and learn. The process of evaluating codependency, abusiveness, what will happen with the children, etc. in a relationship is something one needs to explore with a professional. It's not for us to give a lecture on over here today. No, I don't believe that when one is thrown into unprecedented depths of pain, anger and animosity that can only happen when one is in a painful relationship, I don't believe that one is capable of seeing truthfully between the smoke and fire of the issue by themselves. Therefore, I strongly suggest it, one should seek professional help in doing so. I don't believe one is capable by themselves to be able to see what is the smoke and what is the fire, as we'll soon discuss here, okay? However, be that as it may, I'm not going to answer that question, but what will I answer? So let me tell you what I meant when I asked that question of how does one know when to try and mend or to end a relationship. What I meant was, is the question that someone has to ask themselves, do I still have it within me to mend this relationship? So I'm not here to discuss the topic, the, the list I gave before that goes wrong in a relationship. Codependency is a huge poison in a relationship. Abusiveness with the children. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that that's not all gonna discuss here. That's something you have to do one-on-one -on -one with a professional and really see what's real and what's not real. What is, you know, what am I just making a big thing out of it? Smoke, it's not fire. What's really a fire? And I may not even be looking at the fire because I'm so busy with the smoke. That's not for today. But what is for today is to discuss the question whether I still have it within me to mend this relationship. Now, let me just share what I mean by that. Because in Teshuva, that is a fundamental question. And as I shared with you as I opened up and I gave you the source of today's lecture, I'm leaning on a serious Kabbalistic process of doing Teshuva and using that in our relationship okay with others when we talk about teshuva i want to share with you something very interesting the gemara has very interesting stories of students some very famous but over here i'm just going to leave it without any mention of specific cases but there are numerous stories in the talmud where a teacher tells a student who went astray seriously astray come back and very interesting, more than once you'll find in the Talmud that the student answered the teacher, did you not teach me that someone who does X, Y, and Z can never do Teshuvah? And the end of the story is that they don't do Teshuvah. 
Um, you shook your head no. You wondered what can you do to shoot. Yeah. I'm just going to give you one just case. And again, I want to start a dialogue here in the, in the opening recording. But uh, for example, there's a law that if someone not only sins, but gets other people with him to go astray, then he can never do teshuva. Now even that will be questionable, but not for today. But all I'm trying to put down as a ground for this lecture today is that the minute the student feels that I am beyond mending this relationship, it's not within my capacity to do teshuva, for whatever reason. And many times, we do that erroneously so. We think we don't have the strength. But one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, and seriously need to ask ourselves, is do I believe that I have it within me to mend this relationship? Okay? And that is what one of the questions that we need to talk about here. We really need to ask ourselves do we believe that we can mend this relationship? Do we have within us the strength? Do we have within us the wherewithal? Can I? And if your answer is no, then we got a serious situation. I'm not suggesting that if the answer is no, that you can't, but then at least go to a professional and see if what you're saying is true or you're just being blinded by the smoke and pain and depth of animosity that's going on in a relationship. Okay? But that's what I meant when I said, how do I know when to bend it or end it? I need myself and each and every one of us to be able to sit down by ourselves and ask ourselves that question. So I just want to start off the introduction of what I meant with that question and what I'm asking with it is to ask yourself, not whether this is unhealthy for me, this is unhealthy for the kids, it's not that do it a professional. But ask yourself, between yourself, and, and actually, I wrote down in my notes here, that's a question I would suggest that you sit alone after a serious soul-searching prayer to God to give us the guidance and the strength to make a fearless, a fearless reckoning if I do or don't have it within me to mend this relationship. Don't just sit down, take out a pen and paper and a list. This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a serious moment of prayer to Hashem Asking God, we shouldn't be blinded by our anger, be blinded by our fragility, be blinded by the smoke. Really sit down and ask ourselves, can I, do I have it within me to mend this relationship? Remember that we're not going to be able to control what the other person does. This is only about me. Do I have it within me, from my side of the table, to mend what I need to mend for this relationship? Okay? Are we allowed to ask questions? Later. This is a monologue after we'll ask questions. Okay. So let's go over here to the next step. I shared with you that what? That this is going to be uh, based on a Kabbalistic process of doing teshuva. You're going to see me flow back and forth between Kabbalistic concepts mm -hmm. of doing teshuva, practically doing teshuva, and tangibly working on our relationships. Okay? So let us begin. Teshuva. To have any appreciation of understanding what teshuva is, we're going to have to first step back and ask ourselves what the origin of sin is. Teshuva is the counterpart of sin. <laughs> There's actually a beautiful teaching which says that sin is the introduction to teshuva. That's a beautiful way <laughs> of looking at our past sins. It's a very beautiful way, a very true Kabbalistic way of looking at our past sins. But be it as it may, if we don't understand sin, we won't understand teshuva. So, what is the origin of sin? Simple question. What is the origin of sin? According to Kabbalah, the origin of sin is Tzimtzum. For those of you who have dabbled with Kabbalah at all, you probably heard the word Tzimtzum. But let me share with you what Tzimtzum is. Tzimtzum is the contraction. That's exactly what the word Tzimtzum means. Contraction. And what we're talking about is the original reversal of the infinite light of God that began the process of creation. To quote the book of Kabbalah, before creation, God and His infinite light was everywhere. And in the presence of the infinite light, there is no identity of a finite creation. How does a finite world exist in an infinite light? So the first thing that God does is, what does Hashem do? He reverses, tzimtzum, reverses the infinite light. It's not shining outwards, it's shining inwards. Now we have a space which is a void of the infinite, and we can introduce the finite. Now, 
What does that have to do with sin? Very simple. It's only from the original symptom in which there created a space which is void of the presence of the infinite light that eventually down here on planet Earth someone now has the capacity of an arrogant identity to tell God. Now, if we were all in the infinite light of God, then there would not be that, that thought process of atheism. There would not be that thought process of Hashem said yes, and I said no. Hashem told me not to do this, I did it. Hashem told me I have to do it, I didn't do it. The only reason that that's even a possibility is because of Tzimtzum. Because Hashem reversed the light, because Hashem created a void of that infinite light, so now, when on that level it's still holy, holy, holy. But when that evolves through the whole evolution of the creation from the infinite to the finite, we now have an identity where I know that I exist. I'm not so sure that God exists. I know what I want to do. I'm not so sure what God wants to do. And am I not in control of myself? Am I not a free-thinking person? What, am I just supposed to do this because the rabbi told me that the Torah says to do it? That only is possible from Tzimtzum. So Tzimtzum is the origin of sin. Now let's talk about a relationship. How does that work in a relationship? You see, a relationship begins with the absolute presence of self in the relationship. There is this absolute giving of self in a healthy, the beginning of a healthy relationship. There's absolute trust, there's absolute love, there's absolute putting yourself forth. Somewhere along the line, symptom happens. Symptom happens when we pull ourselves out. We're not so comfortable no more with being vulnerable, fragile, putting ourselves out in the relationship. And the minute any one of us pulls ourselves out of the relationship, that symptom, that is the origin of any problem that will take place in a relationship. Now let's talk about that practically speaking. Guys, we're all under 20, so we all remember how it started in our first relationship and how things worked. The relationship begins where we are so present in our relationship that even when I'm at work, I'm still thinking and feel the presence of my other, my partner. It's very simple. You're sitting in your work. Things are getting crazy. You just close your eyes. You think about the last dinner. You think about where you're going to the movies and you're smiling. You feel your partner next to you and your partner feels you next to you. There's that beginning of a relationship. There's no symptom at all. So what the beginning of a relationship allows for is that even when my partner is not present, I feel their presence. And even when I'm not present by my partner, I know that my partner feels my presence. Let's talk about symptom, the origin of sin. What does symptom do? Symptom in a relationship means that even when my partner is right there in the room with me, sitting right there at the table with me, all I feel is absence. <laughs> so symptom in a relationship is where I am no more present even though we're both sitting by the same table. Symptom is from the other person, I don't feel the other person present in this relationship. And there goes the famous accusation, you don't love me no more. And that's symptom. So just like symptom is the origin of sin, in a relationship, symptom is the origin of all problems in a relationship. Arguing isn't half as bad as feeling symptom. <laughs> healthy arguing, by the way. Because unhealthy arguing will inevitably lead to symptom. So symptom is the origin of sin. Symptom is the origin of the collapse of any relationship. Now let me share with you a very powerful Kabbalistic teaching to Tzimtzum, which may change how we feel 
in our symptomized relationship. Okay? Here's a beautiful secret to symptom. In essence, there is no symptom. Because there is no place void of God. That's just impossible. God is everywhere and everywhere is God. So what is symptom? Ah, in Kabbalah we're taught that symptom in essence is a one-way mirror. What does that mean it's a one-way mirror? It means that God is everywhere, but because He wanted to give us the freedom of choice, that even to choose sin, God has created a one-way mirror where He's right here, and I'm saying that God's not here, I don't even know if God exists. It gets even prettier than that. The verse tells us that when God banished us from the land of Israel, kicked us out of His home, kicked us away from his table, the verse says that God is with us in exile. Now listen to what's happening here. The relationship has gotten so ugly, we're no more together, we're in exile, we feel clearly that the prophet told us, because of your sins have I banished you from, <coughs> nothing but your sins separates you from your Father in heaven, all words of banishment, all words of separation, so we're clearly saying that God, God banished us. Our fault, not our fault. Not, we're not discussing that right now. But clearly, God has left us alone. We're no more in His protective presence. The verse tells us that through the unbelievable symptom of exile, God is right here with us, empowering us, guiding us, <coughs> protecting us. But the power of symptom is so strong the one-way mirror is so strong that when I look towards God, all I see is my own reflection. While from God's side of that one-way mirror, He's never left us off His lap. He always had us on His lap, He always has us on His lap, and He always will have us on His lap. Guys, back to relationship. The question, the question on this table is very strong. The symptom, I'm not projecting, you're going to find me use the word you, me, I, it's just easier to talk that way than to talk about the other. The real question on the table for this moment is, the symptom that we are projecting into our relationships, what kind of symptom is it? Is it the self-protecting one-way mirror, or is it real symptom? Which will lead me back to my original question. Do I have the capacity of mending this? My friends, I will clearly put on the table that from my experiences, self and others, most of the symptoms that we bring into our relationship are not real symptoms. We're just sick and tired of getting hurt. We've created a very protective one-way mirror where we allow ourselves to project that we're not in this conversation we're not in this relationship, and I won't be hurt by you no more. But in essence, in essence, were we to really look at ourselves, we're very much in this relationship. We're just tired of getting hurt. So we created the one-way mirror symptom. That is a very serious question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we or are we not void in this relationship? Have I really, really, really completely pulled myself out of this relationship and if my significant other was hit by a car, I would feel sorry, maybe attend the funeral, but it's over between us. Or, of course I'm in this relationship. Doesn't look like it, doesn't feel like it, but that's because I'm protecting myself. A total different perspective of symptom. This is a question we really need to sit down and honestly, alone, go over. We really need to ask ourselves, am I just protecting myself or am I really out? I'm going to suggest to you that if you're just protecting yourself, a one-way mirror, there's a lot that can be done. This relationship can be mended a lot easier than 
if someone tells me I'm really, really, really out. I'm not protecting myself, I'm not nothing, I'm out. I will tell you that even when someone says I'm out, we can still discuss this issue. But it's much more difficult. If someone after prayer and self-observation can really honestly say, I'm not out, I'm just protecting myself. It's a lot easier. I want to share with you one more statement on this before we go further. Many of us, many of us are right now probably too mad, too hurt, too angry, and feeling way too fragile to even entertain the thought that this is only a one-way mirror. Many of us really want to believe that this is real Timso. It's not easy to go back, sit down, think of everything we've been put through, and then say, well, I'm still in this relationship, it's only a one-way mirror. Sometimes we're not man or woman enough to do that. We really need to sit down with ourselves, really pray, really ask God for the strength to really see, have I just put up a protective one-way mirror, but if this could change, I'm definitely willing to put everything I have into it, or, <laughs> Rabbi, I'm okay if he comes home with roses every night. I, I just, I, I'm done, I'm done. We really need to ask ourselves that question, and then, and then after that, we need to go ahead and deal with the answer. But for the sake of today's lecture, I'm going to assume that most, this is what I've seen, most people are still dealing with one-way mirrors. As thick and as dark as that one-way mirror may be, that's most of us I'm going to suggest are dealing with that. So from here on, I'm going to be working on that assumption. If the situation is different, that's a total different conversation, a total different approach. Okay? So, let's go back to the process of teshuva. I'm going to share with you that another teaching of Kabbalah is creation came about through the tetragrammaton, which means Tetragrammaton is a word in Greek, which means the name of four letters, which refers to the name of God, which is made up of the four letters, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. Okay? That's how creation begins. And we're taught that from these four letters comes forth the ten emanations, the ten spherot. The ten spherot, the way we're going to line it up over here in the four letters is, the first letter Yud is Chachma, wisdom, the dot. The second letter, He, is understanding, Bina, the expansion of the dot. The third letter is Vav, which is numerical value of six. The picture of Vav is coming from top down, right? The Vav is the six masculine emotions known as, in the world of Kabbalah, as Za. And the last letter, He, the second He, is the emanation of Malchut, which is the feminine mystique of kingship, royalty, regality. Okay? The verse says, let us, what did God tell the angels? Let us create mankind in our image and likeness. The explanation given in Kabbalah, what do you mean God created us in his image? God has no image. That's the ABCs of believing in God. Most of us, most of the commentaries explain that what we're talking about is these ten emanations are reflected in the ten faculties that make up the human psyche. So we have within ourselves wisdom, understanding, we have within ourselves the love, the fear, all the six emotions, and then we have the power of regality, kingship. Therefore, we understand that if God created through the ten emanations, through the four letters of the Tetragrammaton of God's name, then we understand that Teshuva, which is mending that relationship, is once again working through those four letters. If that's how we created the relationship, then that's how we have to mend the relationship. The relationship is made up of these four letters, which break into the ten um, spherot, ten emanations. Teshuva is going to work at the same level. And that's why this amazing mimer of 1958, the Rebbe follows the process of Teshuva through the Tetragrammaton, through the four letters of God's name. However, I want to just make one more point. 
Teshuvah is the exact opposite direction of creation. Creation starts from the first letter, Yud, the dot, the thought, the original process. Then goes He, the expansion of, the details. Then goes Vav, bringing it down into thought, speech, and action. Then comes the letter He, the actual creation. Teshuvah is going to work backwards. Teshuvah is going to start with Malchut, obedience, accepting God as your king. Let's talk about our relationship now. Guys, how did our relationship start? Our relationship starts with the Yud and walks to the He. It starts with this original spark, twinkle, glow. It begins with this symptom of the Yud. The Yud is a little dot. What does the symptom mean? The symptom means that I'm now going to stop looking around at everyone and on a matrimonial level, I'm bringing everything into this one significant other. And that focus expands into details, the hey, the second letter. The second letter hey means it's not just this one lovey-dovey. It's now occupying my mind, my thought. I think about the significant other all day. I feel it all over my body. Then comes the vav, which is to draw down my feelings inside into emotions outside, which leads me to thought, speech, and action. You can love someone in your heart from today to doomsday. If you don't act on it, there's nothing. So after the yud and the hey, which is developing within you, comes the vav, where I step out of me, and I'm going now into the last hey, which is the actual action. The controlled action that's required in a love relationship. See, that's how relationships start, people. Any of us that are looking to mend the relationship should not be looking to start and waiting for that spark and glow. <laughs> There's been how many years of fighting and arguing and building and resentment? And this relationship, the mending relationship, is not going to begin the way our first dating process began. <laughs> it's actually going to work in the exact opposite direction. It's actually going to be begin with the obedience into the action, into the higher levels of the Yud and the He. So just like the Shuva is the exactly the reversed direction of creation, because we need to mend the relationship that was created, so too, mending a relationship is the exact opposite direction of the way we started dating with our puppy eyes. <laughs> the exact opposite direction. Let's begin this. Let's talk about this. Step one, letter hey, the latter letter hey, the last, right? There's two hey's in God's name. There's the yud, there's the hey, then there's the vav, and there's another hey. In the latter hey, let's talk about the latter hey now. The first step in teshuva is malchut. What is malchut? How does malchut define itself? What we're talking about here is acceptance of the yoke. What does acceptance of the yoke mean? Acceptance of the yoke simply means we're talking about an ox and we're talking about the yoke that gets put onto its neck which later is attached to the plow. But let's talk for a moment. I, uh, those of you who have attended my classes before know that uh, I like horses a lot better than oxes. <laughs> I've done horseback riding. Horses are very interesting. Do you know the first thing that has to happen in order to train any horse? First thing that has to happen is you have to saddle the horse. Long before you get onto the horse. The horse is a free-spirited animal. And before the horse is willing to accept with obedience a saddle, there is no training the horse, there is no riding the horse, there is no teaching different gates to the horse. It just doesn't happen. In the process of training a horse, the first thing the horse has to come to terms with is to break that free spirit and to begin to accept that there is a rider and there is an owner who's going to sit on this horse and is going to direct this horse in which direction. Same thing with an ox. Before you can attach the ox to a plow, the first thing they used to do is just put the yoke on the ox's neck 
and let it run around like that for a week or two or three or whatever it takes until the ox begins to realize that there is a yoke, there is a plow, there is a boss, and I'm going to have to accept that. In Teshuva, when we've lived a life where God doesn't tell us what to do, and God isn't our boss, the very first thing that has to happen in Teshuva is we need to accept God. I'm not talking about yet listening to what God says. We have to accept this notion that there is a God and He is my God. Without that acceptance, Teshuva doesn't happen. If I'm not willing to accept that there's a God who says what we could do and can't do, before I even hear what we could or can't do, just the mere notion that there is a God who's my God, who controls everything, there is no teshuva. Let's talk about relationships, people. The first step to mending a relationship is the acceptance that there is a partner in my life and he or she is my partner. If I'm not willing to accept that, then there is no way to begin mending any relationship. If I still want to behave as I'm a single, I do what I want, when I want, I come where I want, I go where I want, I don't answer, I don't, I, I don't even reckon. There is no you in my life. There is no partner in my life. If we can't, with obedience, accept that, at a simple level, there is no way of mending a relationship. So the first letter of hey, which is malchut, Again, from, we're going backwards now. This is teshuva, not creation. We're not starting a, a relationship. We're mending a relationship. We're not going from the yud to the hey to the vav to the hey. We're going from the hey to the vav to the hey to the yud. So when we talk about mending relationship, the first thing we need to deal with is malchut. We need to sit down and accept that this is my partner. Now, let me share with you. That is not the job of a therapist. <laughs> The therapist's job is, once you've decided whether you are with a partner or not, whether you're going to try to mend this marriage or you're going to dissolve this marriage, then the therapist is here to show you how to do whatever you've chosen in the right way. There's a way to stay married and mend it, and there's a way to get divorced. But the therapist, no therapist, can decide for you that first step of letter A, obedience, malchut. Is there or is there not a partner in my life? Now let me be clear. You may choose to use a therapist to work out your own thoughts of whether I am willing to do this hey, the obedience, the malchut, to accept that there exists a partner in my life or not. But ultimately, you're going to have to make that decision. You and you alone are going to have to make that decision. Is this other person, he or she, a partner in my life or not? Without accepting that, there is no mending a relationship. Let me be very clear. Many times people come to counseling. I'm not sure. And, you know, I'm going to try let me see. Let me see if it can work or not. No, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> no expectations. I don't know. We'll see. Let's see what happens. People, the road to mending a relationship is very painful, very hard work, and not easy. The I don't know, I'll see does not have enough power to take that journey. So unless we are willing to sit down and say, letter hey, I am as of now, accepting with obedience, don't rely on feelings right now, because feelings is phew. With obedience, I'm ready to accept that this is my partner, and it ain't over until it's over, and right now, I'm going to work with 103% of my energy and focus on mending this relationship. Now, of course the other person has to also do it. You accepting that this is your partner when the other one accepted that this is not my partner isn't going to work. But remember, we're only discussing our side of the table. That's all we have control over. Any of you took the seven, seven habits 
or many different books of self-help, they always talk about the circle of concern, the circle of influence. Your spouse or your significant other is your circle of concern. You cannot change that person. Yourself is your circle of influence. That's where you have control. So we're only talking about ourselves now. If we're here to mend the relationship, we're only talking about ourselves. So in this process, what we're really focused on is, am I, am I willing to accept with obedience? Because right now there's havoc in my feelings. There's anger, there's hurt, there's animosity. So it's just obediently accepting, this is my partner. Without this step, people, there is no teshuva happening. There is no between us and Hashem, if we don't accept Hashem, is Hashem. And there's no mending of a relationship between myself and a significant other and a partner if I'm not willing to accept that this is my partner and this is it. I want to just bring home one more point just to see how real this is. If the thought and threat of divorce is the answer to every time you get mad and every time something happens that you don't like, there's no way that you can mend this relationship. Because if that's a response and that's a thought, that means you have not accepted that divorce is not possible as of right now, because as of right now, with obedience, I accept this is my partner, then it's not happening. I told you, it's a painful, deep journey. And if every time you get your feathers a little flustered, my answer is divorce, I'm threatening, let's go, we're going to rock, it's not happening. That's like telling God. The minute you tell me to do something I don't like, I'm finding another God. I'm out of here. We're fine for divorce. We're over with. Forget about Teshuvah. It's just not happening. Let's go to the next step. Step number two. There's four steps. Step number two is Vav. The Vav of the letter, the letter Vav in God's name, I mentioned to you, represents the six masculine emotions. For here, step two, Vav, the name, Kabbalistic name is Zah, and what it means to us is feelings driving actions. Let's talk about this, feelings driving actions. The second step of Teshuvah, I told you, we're always going to start, the Mimer talks about Teshuvah, and I'm just translating it into relationships. So let's start again with the Kabbalah approach to Teshuvah. After we accept God as our God, after we accept God as our God, don't do this before, because it's ridiculous. After we accept God as our God, that means that we're now going to go to step two. If God is my God, then His commandments are my obligations. What He says to do and not to do is real. He's my God. Why do I talk about emotions? The Alter Rebbe and Tanya explains that in the human psyche, every salesman knows this, every salesman or woman knows this. It's all about emotions. There's a reason why at the end of every sales pitch, there's the, well, I don't know if this will be available tomorrow, but today, I can promise you, we have four offers, and he's really leaning towards this offer. Never had an offer, is dying for an offer, will accept anything. But there's a reason why that happens. Emotions. There's nothing that we do or don't do that is driven by anything else but emotions. I can sit and intellectually explain to you why you should part from your money and invest in something. It will not happen unless I trigger fear. Unless I start talking about your retirement little basket that has disappeared thanks to the economy, no one's moving anywhere. So the Altenheber clearly says, when it comes to Teshuva, talks about mitzvahs, not Teshuva. He said that the 248 positive commandments of thou shalt is driven by love. There's nothing we do that isn't driven by love. The driving force of the 365 thou shalt not prohibitions are driven by fear. I do what I do for someone because I love them. I don't do what they don't want me to do because I fear them. It's the deeper level. Yes, there is not doing because I love, but the truth is it's all about fear, but different levels of fear. There's fear of retribution, there's fear of awe, there's fear of respect, there's different levels of fear. But what we're talking about right now is, step number two of Teshuva is that I am willing to engage my emotions to this God that I have accepted as my God. But what kind of emotions? Now we're just talking about emotions that drive action. 
Let's talk about mending a relationship. Let's talk about what this means in mending a relationship. What I said to you, if God's God, then I need to do what He tells me to do, and I need to not do what He tells me not to do. Let's talk about a relationship. If I've accepted that this individual is my partner, then the next step in mending the relationship is to sit down and make a very clear list of the do's and the don'ts that my partner simply cannot coexist with. It's what we call deal breakers. You see, there are some things that you and I can, okay, listen, I'd rather you don't, but I can live with this. I'll learn to live with it. You like football games, honey? I'll learn to go to football games. It's okay. <laughs> or I'll learn that when you go to football games, I go shopping with uh, my friends, whatever it may be. Those are not deal breakers. But then there are certain things that are absolute deal breakers. There are things when you come to a therapist, you tell the therapist, these are the things that if this doesn't change, I need to step out of this relationship. And then there are other things which I just need to learn tools and how to deal with it because it's not deal breakers. So we sit down and we make a list of the real do's and don'ts of this partner that I've obediently accepted as of now is my partner. Because if he or she is my partner, then I must accept that he or she cannot coexist with me doing A, B, C or me not doing X, Y, Z. That's the second step in bending a relationship. That I love you and feel me and the this and the that, it's all beautiful. It's made Hollywood billions of dollars. But in actuality, mending a relationship does not begin with feelings. It begins with obedience and action. Yes, actions are driven by feelings. But love me and do exactly what I told you I can't tolerate, I don't need it. Hurt me and bring me home flowers. No, thank you. So step number two is to really sit down. And again, your partner needs to do the same. But unless your partner is not sitting by this table, I'm not talking to him or her. We're talking about our side, circle of influence. So on that note, what we need to do is sit down and make a list. And we've all heard this list a million times, sometimes with uh, unpleasant adjectives attached to it. But we know the list of what buttons don't push and what buttons do push because these are just un they're just deal breakers. It's what led us to the situation where we are right now because if, if not, this just can't go on. So there are a bunch of things that annoy me, but okay, fine. I'll learn to live with it. I'll even learn to accept it and even learn to adore it. As long as we can deal with the deal breakers. Let's get that in place. So the vav of teshuva in mending relationship is the do's and the don'ts. I accept not only that this is obediently my partner and I'm going to give it all I got. On top of that, I accept that if this is my partner and I know that this is not tolerable, doing this or not doing this is not tolerable, then I accept with the package that this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. We're going to go now to the next step, step number three. But I have the most important note to make before I go to step number three and four. We are now entering into the first two letters of the Tetragrammaton, the Yud and the He. And while you will see that this is the deeper and more appreciated levels of a relationship, nevertheless, I put this, by the way, in my notes in bold, I must point out that the first two levels are the more detrimental ones to a relationship. Don't start getting caught up with, if I don't get the, the higher hay and the higher yud, don't focus on the higher hay and the higher yud, don't even go to the higher hay and the higher yud before you have the lower hay and the lower vav in, in place. Don't expect to be so deeply in love and unified and one when you haven't yet accepted that this is your partner. Come on. <laughs> Don't expect that your two hearts should beat as one when you haven't accepted yet that I don't do what he doesn't want me to do and I do what she wants me to do. It just doesn't work that way. So what I'm going to get into here where our eyes are going to start glowing and oh, let's deal with Yud and Hey comes after Vav and Hey in the process of the Shuvah. So let's talk about this now. Step number three, Hey, understanding. 
Hate emanation of Bina, the emanation of understanding, the second of the, of the uh, first two emanations, the second of the two, two intellects. In Teshuva, this is the process of learning Torah. So, the, there's the hey, there's the vav, there's accepting God as God, there's accepting His mitzvahs, the do and the don't. But now we're talking about the first letter hey, which is understanding, which is learning Torah. Let's talk about what learning Torah means in Teshuva. What it means is that I am opening up myself to actually try to step out of my shoes, step into my partner's shoes, see how they see things, see how they feel things, see what their priorities are, see what their paradigms are. What makes my partner tick the way he or she ticks? What's behind these do's and don'ts? Now, in the world of Kabbalah, the sphera, the emanation of Bina, understanding, is deeply connected to emotions. It's not separated. So, even in the teshuva of studying Torah, trying to understand what is God's paradigm and priorities in creation? What was God's purpose in creation? I may believe that I was born to be rich and powerful and beautiful, that's my paradigm. That's my egocentric, the world begins with I, and the further away from I you are, the more insignificant you are. <laughs> but what was God's? In Teshuvah, I need to start thinking, what is God's priorities? What is God's value system? What is God's purpose in creation? What is God's paradigm? However, in the process of Bina, which is step number three, the second letter of the four letters of God's name, this is still intact with my capacity of feelings. So I'm not leaving go of myself in this process of learning about God. So my perception of God is still strongly connected to my vav and my hey, my set of feelings, my capacities. Let's talk about that in relationships. What would that mean in relationships? What it means is beyond just the do's and the don'ts, these are the rules to the game. This is what you can't do if you want to stay married to me. This is what I can't do. This is what you have to do and this is what I have to do. It's a little beyond that. Let's now see how my partner in life thinks. How that person feels. What are their priorities? What are their purpose in life? What's their goals in life? What's everything? However, however, in this stage, I am still in the process of self-protection. I'm not ready to leave go of me and completely focus on you because I still want to know what that's going to translate in what I need to do and what I don't need to do and how I feel. The hey is connected to the vav. This level of understanding is still connected to my emotions, my do's and don'ts. So I'm not ready yet to completely drop my guard and completely try to understand and feel you and see through your paradigms because I don't know if I'm ready to what that's going to demand of me. So I'm very, very soft-stepping, toe-by-toe, trying to see how you think, how you feel, what's in your heart, what's in your mind, what's your priorities, but I'm not yet ready to say, leave go of me and just plop into you. So in the process of mending a relationship, once we have A, accepted that this is my partner, obediently accepted, B, gotten into the do and don't list, and start developing love and fear, and I don't mean a negative fear. For some reason, Hollywood taught us fear is negative. It's not negative, because if fear was negative, then God wouldn't have commanded us, fear God you got. God's not commanding us to do anything negative. Fear probably saved more lives than love did. That's a different story. <laughs> but the bottom line is, in this process, to get a little emotionally involved enough to the do's and the don'ts. Okay, I'm going to allow myself to love this person enough to do what they want me to do. I'm going to allow myself to fear, on a healthy level, this person in the relationship. 
so that I don't do what I'm not supposed to do. The level we're talking about now, level three, is beyond that. The level number three is to start opening up. How many times, people, have you had a conversation which was two monologues? There was not a single dialogue. <laughs> the minute the significant other hears that you are disagreeing or disproving her point or his point and proving your point, they started talking. 99.9% of the time, after such a discussion, no one can recap or repeat what the other one said. Because we have zero interest in step three. I don't care what you think. I don't care what are your priorities. I don't care what you feel. I'm here to impose what I feel, what I want. I'm here to tell you that you need to stop thinking the way you think and understand the way I think. And ask anyone, and they'll tell you I'm right. You bring another person into this conversation, and they will tell you that this is wrong what you're doing. That's the exact opposite of step number three. That is what destroyed step number three in the first place. Now we're trying to mend step number three. Mending step number three means, I really want to know, what do you think? What do you, I want to hear. I really want to hear. Now let me share with you something, okay? This is not in my notes, but let me share with you something. Very often, especially in the process of mending a relationship, where we're all still guarding our turf, most importantly, we're definitely guarding our hearts with huge thick walls around it. Many times step number three happens alone in bed, after the argument, after the discussion, after your spouse or whoever went to bed. Then you feel safe enough within the protection of your own mind to say, what was he or she thinking? Let me play over the conversation in my head. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to agree. That doesn't mean I'm going to say I was wrong and the other one was right. But there's a beautiful moment where you're alone in bed playing over the conversation and now for the first time you actually hear that it wasn't a monologue, it was a dialogue. I'm finally willing to hear in the protection of under my covers, <laughs> hear what the other person said, hear what the other person's feeling, hear what the other person's thinking. But that is step number three. It's very protective. I'm not willing to involve myself. I'm not willing to sign up that if I understand your feelings, that means that I have to change my behavior. No, thank you. I'm not there yet. It's very protective. There's a very strong relationship between what I want to understand about you and what I want to feel in me. I'm not so sure I want to understand more of you than I'm ready to feel. I'm not so sure I really want to know what your priorities are when I'm not ready to change my priorities. So it's a beginning. It's step number three. It's Bina. I want to understand what God thinks about this world, but I still don't want to be poor. I still don't want to be spiritual only. I still want to live my whole life in some little place and shuckling and davening. I, I, want, I, I want to work this out, God. The same with the relationship. And here goes step four. Step four. In the process of teshuva, is where we let go of self-protection. And we allow ourselves and to fully trust and become one with God. It is the dot of humility, that yud, letter yud is a dot, in which the very deepest fragile and center of our being exists. That's the one place that we protect ever since we were hurt. The one place where we don't let anyone in no more because we probably all promised ourselves, I will never be hurt like that again. At some level, that commitment defines itself into, I will never trust again. In the process of teshuva, it's where I'm, I'm literally willing to give up my own identity and to be absorbed in God's identity. It's where I'm absolutely willing to embrace 
that to the world and to myself, I am a Jew. And what that means is that we are the people of God that live the Torah life and what God wants and what God doesn't want. That's not easy. Because what that takes is absolute trust in God. That God will never hurt me. God will always take care of me. And everything that God tells me to do is not for His, capital H, gain, but for my well-being. I will never be able to trust someone who in their relationship with me, in advising me, has personal gain involved. Because at some point, when his personal gain is in conflict with my well-being, I'm going to get hurt. Teshuva is that level of oneness, this highest level of teshuva, this highest level of learning, is where I completely open myself up with absolute trust that I want to know everything that God feels and thinks and prioritizes, His purpose, because I absolutely trust there is nothing better for my well-being. When Moses died, God gave a four-word eulogy. Are you familiar with that eulogy in the end of Deuteronomy? Vayamos Moshe Emet Hashem. And Moses died, and the only description God gives him is two words, servant of God. That was the greatest eulogy Moses could have ever wanted. Don't talk about me and my greatness. My greatest greatness is that I was able to open myself totally up to become one in my identity with God. I've been able to teach myself to want what God wants. I've been able to teach myself to not want what God doesn't want. My identity is the Jewish land, the Jewish people, the Torah. Who God loves, I love. Who stands up against God, has stood up against me. It's the highest level of studying Torah. Where studying Torah is to really become one with God. What does that mean in relationships? Let me read it to you exactly. I wrote just one paragraph on this. So let me read it to you. It's interesting, you know. There's a mimer where the Rebbe says that the Amida, the blessings are very short. Because that which really comes from the depths of your heart, which means so much to you, you don't elaborate on. You say it, you say it short, you say it once, you say it quietly, and it's done. Obviously, this paragraph is the dream we all have in our relationship with God in our relationship with whoever we're in a relationship with in mending our relationships this is where the two truly become one with no need of self-protection for here we mend and enhance our trust in our partner and in our relationship in practical terms we truly learn to hear, see, understand and feel the other this is where we stop living in fear of being taken advantage of I'm going to reread that sentence people this is where we stop living in fear of being taken advantage of. Here is where we truly know the other, and therefore truly trust the other. And here is where our identity is truly of two halves becoming one whole. That is the ultimate level of teshuva. That is the ultimate level of mending a relationship. Guys, in closing, let's recap. Teshuva is the opposite direction of building a relationship. Building a relationship begins with the Yud. There's the absolute love, the absolute, just the dot that expands, dominates us, the hay, dominates our minds. We think all day. Guys, we all remember when we fell in love. We couldn't think about anything but the one we're in love with. And then that goes to the next level. You take it from the feelings inside to the expression outside, the do's and the don'ts. And then comes the hay, the actions. The absolute oneness, obedience. Teshuva doesn't work that way. Teshuva is the exact opposite direction. Teshuva is where feelings are not in its proper place. Step number one is just simply obedience. I am willing to accept that this partner I have in my life is my partner. Number one. Without that, we're not going anywhere. Step number two. By the way, this is my only partner, obviously. Step number two goes into the do's and don'ts, the feelings that need to come along with the do's and don'ts. If this is my partner, then this is what I do and this is what I don't do because to him or to her, 
That's a deal breaker. And if I'm in a relationship with this person, this person is my partner, then I need to do and not do the things that are the do's and don'ts in the deal breaker part of this relationship. Step number three is beginning to understand the other person. It's not no more about doing and not doing. I want to understand. But I'm still in the process of self-protection. I still do not want to understand more than I'm willing to feel, more than I'm willing to do, more than I'm willing to give up doing. So it is a beautiful relationship where you're now laying in bed after a heated debate and that person's asleep and you're sitting there just going over in your mind. What did that person say? Why did that person say it? What, what did he or she feel when they said these words? Why would they feel that way? The final step is the glorious moment where two halves become one because I've come to know this person so well that I trust this person. I don't need to protect myself with this person. And with this person, two halves become one. And now we begin our work. Take care, guys.